a lot of times you know a company is on a path to greatness when they make a big left turn away from what they thought they were going to do originally. In today's episode, I speak with Chris Varley, principal at Goodyear Ventures. We dig into the distinction between open innovation and corporate venturing, how startups can leverage corporate ventures to accelerate growth, and why team often matters more than technology. Welcome to Beyond Innovation, a series that breaks down the mystique, explores what works, what doesn't, and what innovation really means with experts who live it every day. Welcome everybody to another episode of Beyond Innovation. I have an excellent guest here today that I'm really excited to talk to. His name is Chris Varley. He is the principal for Goodyear Ventures. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. So why don't you just give us a brief history of you, kind of where you've come from. You spent a long period of time in your career in, in, in the corporate venturing space. Can you just give us, a, give us a little background on you, and then we'll dig right in. Sure. So I actually started my career in college publishing uh, in sales, which I think most industries should do. Um, if you wanted to be an editor, you had to start in sales, and it turns out to be the best way of doing things. From there, I uh, had one of those, this is not my beautiful house moments, and wound up as a writer out in Hollywood. Uh, got sucked into online, became a creative director at CompuServe and director of business development, and then ran some businesses for AT&T, uh, AT&T WorldNet online service, and a few other things. Uh, started a venture group there and got hooked on that. Uh, wound up at Goodyear doing open innovation for about a decade. And then when we launched a venture fund, I was just waiting to join it and did a couple of years ago. So when, when at AT&T, when was that? What, what year were you at AT&T that you started doing ventures at AT&T? Uh, this was the late, right in the dot-com bubble. So right. it started before it, ended after it. Perfect timing, huh? Yep. yep. <laughs> so... The topic we're going to dig into today really talks about the value and role of corporate venturing, but I think that the corporate venturing market is a little misunderstood and sort of has a path that it follows, which is fairly common, where, where it really starts with internal innovation and then transitions its way through. Can you just give us a summary of that, of that arc that occurs within the corporate space um, uh, as you as you travel through these various uh, labyrinths that exist, sure. So so companies become great by doing something really really well, and and that creates a kind of a path dependence. You build up skills that you need in house to be able to do that. Uh, but eventually, if you want to stay great, you have to start breaking out of that path because things right. have changed around you. Um, Open innovation is a nice sort of toe in the water. Uh, at, first, at first, your internal R&D people feel really threatened if you want to bring something in from the outside. But I found it's more effective if you say to the engineering teams, hey, look, um, you're great at what you invent, but you also know a lot about this area. And I could use your help in evaluating whether this external company can deliver something to you better than trying to do it in-house. You know, what, what's the pain you're feeling that I can solve better, faster, cheaper by bringing someone in from the outside? So is this sort of, um, just, to, just to put some specifics on open innovation, it's an internal-external partnership that you start to facilitate? Is that an accurate way to describe it? 
it's a bridge function. So managers who or engineers who have spent their whole life in a large company understand how to work in a large company. They don't necessarily know how to work with people outside of the company. Um, And they can also feel threatened by that. So you need a bridge function, somebody that can bring expertise from the outside and empower them to make the decision. You don't push it on them. Is this the right thing for you? Is this better than hiring another engineer? Is this better than trying to build a new product line? And once that becomes a part of the way they operate, then it, it, it gets ingrained in the culture. So over the decade that we were doing open innovation at Goodyear, it became so ingrained that we actually moved that team into the functions. Most of them were PhDs, came out of one of those groups, but the groups recognized, no, yes, we can't invent everything on our own. So now it's part of what they do. Uh, An engineering manager is looking outside as much as they're looking inside and trying to figure out where's the right solution to this problem. And so how do you, how do you find and connect with companies within an open innovation platform that you build or an open innovation program that you build in a place like Goodyear? So it's a, it's a scouting function, but the first thing you have to do is identify what the pain points are inside the company. You know, what, what pain is this person feeling that they either have to hire somebody else or they're feeling threatened by their boss or whatever it happens to be, that they're going to be open and receptive to you bringing somebody else in from the outside and getting that integrated. Um, there's a little bit of an education part that has to happen too, because especially if you're engaging with startups, in a large company, if someone says, hey, let's push this out three months, it's not that big a deal. Right. But if you've told a startup that you're going to do this project with them, and then you say, uh, you know what, just hang on three months, they could be out of money by then. Right. Right. So, so you act as this sort of moderator between then the internal corporate need and the external opportunity. And, and, and I mean, I've gotten to know you over the last couple of years, but you're an excellent dot connector. So it feels to me like that's the, that's the magic role then is like connecting the dot uh, that is the startup opportunity and the technology that they've got to the internal need in a way that's um, financially meaningful to both or to both organizations. Yes. And, and it's, it's also kind of a weak link function in terms of social network theory. Um, you don't have to be an expert in the area. In fact, being an expert can make it harder to do it right. I get it. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, you bring something in and they'll look at you like you're from Mars because there's no connection to be made. And other times right. you'll bring something in and you'll, they'll look at you like, I never thought of it that way. Right. Yeah. We end up in this place quite often in our, in our firm because we're outsiders in every engagement that we have. We are not a part of an open innovation group, but we're outsiders in every engagement that we have, which means by default, we look at the problem differently than the inside team. It's our, it's, it's in one way, our superpower and our weakness is that we're going to look at it differently, which may mean we're not always right, but more often than not, we are able to see it from a lens that the internal team didn't, and then open up their eyes to say, Hey, if we look at it from this way too, we can go do something. So that, that, that's a really, um, that's a really powerful tool to use within, within all these different types of organizations. It's critical because that path dependence get, gets, uh, breeds tunnel vision. Right. And um, a good friend of mine at, a, at another corporate venture firm, they, were, they, they asked us, you know, um, here's all these great companies and, and most but not all of them have corporate venture groups. Um, is it 
coincidence or causal or what is it? And he said, well, you know, those companies became great before they had corporate venture. Right. That's not what made them great. That They're doing this to help keep them great. Great. Got it. So why don't we um, dig right into then the corporate venture side? Because there is a distinct difference between open innovation and corporate venturing. And I think those two often get muddled together a little bit in the way that people talk about these two functions. So give us the 30 second uh, sort of high level view of corporate venturing. And then, and then we can dig into some specifics about how you've gotten involved with companies. So we approach corporate venturing, um, not in a way that I would say is unique to us, uh, but it's different from financial investors. It's very much a learning exercise for us. When we make an investment, we're trying to learn about some part of the industry that's changing or some new industry that's emerging that's going to impact our core business. And so the investments that we make have similarity to open innovation groups in that you're going out and looking at outside companies. Right. The goal is a little bit different. Uh, it's a longer term, longer vision kind of thing. With open innovation, I have a project manager or a program manager who has a pain point who need, that needs to be solved right now. Okay, can that company do it? Match them up. Within, with venturing, we're looking at the corporation as a whole from a 30,000 foot level and saying, all right, Goodyear is 125 year old company known for making tires. The world around us is changing. What does it mean for us to be a mobility company, not just a tire company? Got it. And the investments we make are all structured around helping us learn things that will make us into a better mobility company. Got it. Can you, okay. So can you ground us in a couple of specific examples of companies that you've made investments in that then have traveled through this process and the outcomes that come on the other side of that? Yeah. So one that we're in the process of right now, we've not been around that long. We actually, the fund was started uh, right when the world shut down with COVID, but uh, we've got 13 investments that we're public on. One of them is an AV trucking company called Gatic, G-A-T-I-K. Uh, they have, they're very interesting. They run middle mile. They kind of do logistics for warehouse operations to distribution centers and back. Sure. So it's not like running out on the highway. It's more constrained. Uh, but we wanted to understand, well, what impact is autonomously controlled vehicles going to have on our core products on tires? And what influence can tires have on how the AV operates? So the, the first is fairly pedestrian and straightforward. The assumption is, hey, uh, a, a vehicle controlled autonomously is going to treat tires differently than one driven by a human being. We need to understand what that means. Uh, at the same time, we have been developing internally enhanced sensing capability in the tires. We have a product called Sightline. So we're capturing load, shear, grip, slip, in addition to temperature and pressure. And our thesis is, okay, you've got an autonomously controlled vehicle. Um, the closest analog to skin on that vehicle is the tire. It's the only part of the vehicle that has meaningful contact with the environment. But historically, it's been skin with no nervous system. So now we've got a nervous system in it. Collecting all these reams and reams of data, uh, which of the data streams are useful to help control the vehicle, which aren't, how often. So those are the things that we're working on with Gaddock. We have program in place where we put sightline tires on their vehicle. They tell us uh, what is working. They tell us what's not working. We go back and forth, the engineering teams to, to help improve that. And, and that's, 
that's the ideal situation. I don't want, and no one at Goodyear wants to get into being an AD truck manufacturer or operator. Right. But this still goes beyond tires. This is about data that the tire is generating. And how can we use that and turn that into a business for Goodyear and, and help also then enhance our investment in Gaddick by giving them a better operating system than, than they have without the tire data. And so when you go make an investment in a company like Gaddick, you're then inviting them behind the curtain into Goodyear. They're doing the same to you. And you're then able to um, collectively take advantage of one another's expertise to enhance both entities together. Is that a fair description? That's a fair description. And it also shows where it goes and is different from uh, open innovation. Open innovation, you're usually doing an RSA or a TSA as the agreement. Can you, uh, can you just expand RSA? And uh, TSA? Research services agreement or a technical services agreement. Thank you. And, and, and that usually governs the interactions. When you're making an investment in a company, you're getting access to other data, much more closer to the bone, and you want them to have access to closer, more important data than you might otherwise be willing to share. Right. Um, so that investment helps create that bond between the two companies. Got it. Okay. That's an interesting distinction. I mean, we, we have experience in working with a third-party company who's a part of an open innovation um, platform that's through a client of ours in the sort of manufacturing sector, which you're, you're also familiar with. And the, the challenge that they have run into is the contractual side of that arrangement becomes a little cumbersome when you're not invested in them, when it's because everything's then driven through almost service con. They almost you're almost taking a company that would otherwise just be trying to drive growth and trying to turn them into a service business, which they're not accustomed to doing, because they're not built to handle those transactions in that way. Which makes the open innovation um, uh, arrangement a little clunkier than if you're just saying, "Okay, here's a financial investment. Open up the doors and let's go." Exactly. A properly structured venture investment has gives and gets on both sides of the table. Got it. Um, and those need to be clearly defined up front. And so we, we tell them what we want to learn and why, why we think this is the best way for us to learn it. And we then also say to them, what do you need from us? What can we give to you beyond just cash that enhances us as an investor in you for you? And that's what makes the relationship work. Not all CVCs do that. A lot of CVCs try to function more like financial VCs. Okay. Uh, and eventually that gets them in trouble because if they're making really smart financial investments, eventually they're going to drift away from what the company needs and they're not going to be strategic uh, anymore. I see. So by focusing on uh, structuring this so it's about what we're going to learn, uh, yes, we want the company to succeed financially. We do everything we can to help the company succeed financially, but we define what that's going to mean for them and what that's going to mean for us going into it so right. that it's a two-way street. And, and, and as a result, we don't lead on deals. Um, we want someone else. We want a financial VC who's entirely focused on dotting all those I's and crossing those T's to, to say, yeah, this is a good structure for this round of this company we can then focus on what are the strategic things and we know then that both pieces are taken care of got it so if you're if you're if you're a startup and you're 
uh, sort of navigating these financial mechanisms that you have available to you. Obviously, there's sort of the I'm gonna I'm gonna use air quotes around traditional because we're we've become we've become I'm gonna th- say like like I've raised money myself. I've never raised money from venture capitalists. I've raised money through other mechanisms, through angels, through friends and family. And I know how complicated that is. And we've sort of turned this into traditional financing for startups is, you know, pre-seed, series A, series B. And it just feels like this roadmap that's, that's, that's uh, pretty straightforward when actually it's not. <laughs> so if you're in this world and you're a startup and you're trying to like pick and choose, give us, give us sort of how you position corporate ventures different from VCs and how you might use that to your advantage if you're in this game? So, so the first thing I would tell any company is that you've got to decide whether or not venture is the right route for you. Right. Uh, venture is expecting high returns and high growth. If you're primed for that, if that's what you're after, then the venture route is a good route to go. Right. The thing you need to be careful with when looking at strategic versus financial investors, you, it's good to have a mix um, a lot of companies and a lot of financial VCs prefer that the company get off the ground without any strategics because the risk with a Goodyear-like firm coming in is that we have what we want. Now, we're telling you what we want, um, but if you tailor everything to that one strategic, well, you're going to miss the broader market. A good corporate venture capitalist isn't going to let that happen. They're going to say, here's what I want but I am not going to get in the way of you working with competitors or going into other markets because I want you to be financially successful. We also have this piece that we want to work on with you. Interesting. Okay. And so how does that dialogue, I mean, you take a seat on the board, like how are you, how are you facilitating this dialogue with them? In most of the deals, we don't take a seat on the board because we're a minority investor and we're a okay. strategic coming in. We're, we're rarely ever, in fact, never going to be the biggest check at the table. And okay. that's intentional. Um, we do take observer board seats in certain cases. We get information rights, but we also make it really clear that there's a wall. If we're getting information rights uh, from a company that is doing something similar to what some other part of R&D or another part of the organization is doing, then we have we put a wall up and say, okay, information rights do not go beyond the venture team. We uh, cannot share proprietary data with someone who might be trying to build something else. Okay, so that so that then protects the the company that you've invested in from Goodyear effectively competing with your investment. Right. Got it. Okay. So so if you're if you're coming into this space and you're saying okay because. Again, just living off of our experience with, with, with companies that have entered into these agreements, there is the risk that you just, the, the risk you described is real, which is suddenly your investor is your customer and your customer defines your world for you and you forget about the rest of the world that lives outside of that customer. So, so can you give us some uh, strategies that you've had to, implement you can you know whether Gaddock's one of the one of the uh examples or not that that in that tries to in, insulate the the company that you've invested in beyond just the information transfer because it's a natural idea to to, to sort of do what you want because you're in the room so there are two things that we do the reason you know i said earlier we don't lead on deals and that's intentional because that means that there has to be a financial lead investor that we are following on 
That financial lead investor has a big, broad vision for what they expect this company to do. We are targeting a way to help them achieve that big, broad vision, but in a way that will help us learn something along the way. So having a financial VC, uh, would be, I, I would tell anyone who is looking to bring in strategic money needs to have a financial lead first. Okay. So that you avoid that issue. Um, the other thing we do is that we define, in addition to saying in the negotiations why we want to invest in them and what we're looking to do, we try to define a project. And we did that with uh, Gaddick. So with Gaddick, it was very clear that our tires that we wanted to experiment with and their routes would be a good match. So we write that up as a side letter or as a non-binding memorandum of understanding that this is what we want to do. And I say non-binding memorandum of understanding because these are startups. Things can change on a dime and maybe it stops making sense for them. That's a risk I take as an investor is that this project that I have in mind is going to wind up not being something that helps that company. But we've all gone into it as adults. We've all said, this is what we think is going to happen. Here's what we want to have happen. Um, let's see if we can make it work. Uh, I'll give you another example of a company that we just invested in recently in the ADAS space, Helm, Helm.ai. Same kind of thing that we're doing with Gaddick in that they're building level two plus, level three, level four driving systems, auto, assisted driving systems. Mm -hmm. And we think the same thing as with Gaddick. Okay, data we have from the tires should augment that. And it was it was really something that came to us after we'd made the Gaddick investment. We realized all of these systems, all the ADAS systems that exist today are vision-based. Yeah. You're never going to get to full autonomy if you're not taking into account the feel of the road. When you drive a car, yes, you drive by looking around, but you also have the feel of the car through the steering. Totally. Totally. So we're doing that through the tires. So that led us to the investment in Helm and similar to what we are planning uh, or doing with Gaddick is we will see if the tire data doesn't augment the visual data in a way that helps get from level two to level three to level four. Got it. That, that, that's, that's super interesting. So now you've made two investments in two companies that are living, I assume Helm.ai lives in a different arena of uh, autonomous vehicles from Gaddick and thereby giving you two audiences, if you will, to learn from and to help grow financially. Yes, and in fact, our first investment in AV trucks was in a company called Too Simple, T-U-S-I-M-P-L-E. Uh, they've since gone public and we have since exited our investment um, at a nice return, which made everybody very happy. Um, but that was a that was class eight trucks, the big 18 wheel semis. Yeah. And, and that was an area we wanted to learn a lot about. We have learned a lot from our relationship with Too Simple. And I was not the lead on the Gaddick deal, but I have no doubt that, it, that the Too Simple deal didn't get someone thinking about, hey, we should look at these smaller trucks as well and look for an opportunity there. And Gaddick is more of a class three through eight, three through seven size trucks. Okay. So is this... Is this um relationship that gets built between Goodyear and startups, is this a push relationship or a pull relationship? And, and what I mean by that is like, if I'm a startup and I think you're a good partner for me, are people coming to you and saying, hey, 
look at me? Or is this going the other way where you're really a scout finding people already operating? How does this, how does this transaction begin? So the simple answer to your question is yes. Uh, it, it, it goes both ways. Okay. We build up, we develop a thesis around a certain area that we think we want to explore as Goodyear Ventures. And, and, yeah. and we look for companies that will help us test and validate that thesis. The investments that we have made, and I like to think the reputation that we've built as an investor in these companies, uh, has other companies and other investors coming to us and saying, we'd like you to be part of this deal. Aha. Uh -huh. So the investor community is coming to you. The startup community is coming to you. And then you're also out scouting and exploring for, for potential opportunities. Remember that I said in every deal we do, we're not the lead. So there's a financial investor and it's either someone we know from a previous deal or it's someone we get to know during the course of that deal. But now that's a new relationship we've built. It's not just with the company. It's with right. the lead investor as well. It may even be with other investors. There are, invest there are other corporate investment groups in the automotive and mobility space who aren't tire companies, who we have regularly scheduled meetings with. And we talk about trends. We talk about companies. We'll compare notes. And we'll co-invest with each other. Great. It's an interesting... Um... I'll say lesson. I mean, in the, in the funded startups, we we're, we're currently working with three funded startups today. And I can, I can tell you without question that two of the three, two of which are in the manufacturing sector belong in a corporate venturing group. And it's not something that they're actively thinking about. They're, they're sort of so hyper-focused on raising money within their sort of little narrow window of, of financiers. And I feel like that mind, that mindset isn't in the, that isn't in the mind of, of, of many of the startups that we work with because they're either in med tech and therefore we're protecting our IP and we're building product within this space, or they're in whatever industrial technology space and they're, and they're, and they're doing the same thing. And, and what you're suggesting is a third, almost, almost third path to this, um, to this future that that's totally interesting. It, it, and it's a, it's a delicate dance because you, you want to make sure you do it at the right time. One of the advantages that I have as a corporate venture investor, as opposed to a financial investor, is I don't have a group of limited partners who are expecting a certain kind of return on their investment in a three to five year window. Right. Um, yes, I want to get into a deal as early as possible. Yes, I want it to be as financially successful as possible. But the timing is more important to me than getting in early. So I might look at a company, like what I see, but feel like it needs to get to the next stage before it really makes sense for me to engage with them. And, and that's fine. It means I'm going to pay more if the company is successful. Of course. But I'm going to be weighing what I'm investing against what I'm going to be getting in terms of learnings. And so that calculus may well make. And so where, where is that? Like when you're saying the, the timing is, is as, or more important, what, where is that? Is, I assume it's different for every company, but can you give us some guidelines of like, what does that look like? So it would depend on the type of company. Um, so we've done very early seed stage, not even priced rounds 
where, you, where we had a note and we participated in the note. But the company, what, what they were developing, we believed in enough that we thought, yeah, let's go ahead and get in now. Um, I, I can't say any specific companies, but there, there have been companies we've looked at that are developing technologies that they're starting to deploy. And the question, it's, it, it's both a question for them and it's a question for us. Will the people that, will our investment committee recognize that what this company is pursuing is important to Goodyear to advance as a mobility company? And they, right. may, they may not be able to understand that it's in the first earliest stages of a company. But maybe once that company gets a, a toehold in a certain market, um, then, then the story becomes easier to tell and easier to understand and the pathway to learnings for Goodyear makes sense. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sort of reflecting on, again, the same, the same startup that, that, that we share an experience with that's in the manufacturing technology set. And, and a lot of what they've heard over the time that they've been evolving the business is, we're not, you're not ready, you're not ready, you're not ready. And I feel like a lot of startups hear that, like, go get a customer. And yet they need money to go get a customer. So you end up in this sort of little bit of a swirl, it, which it, is it, always it's complicated. A and an egg. Egg. It's a chicken and egg. Uh, but there are also times where um, a, a good strategic investor can help a company understand uh, what they need to do to get to that stage. So right. the company that you're speaking about, um, their IP was not something they owned and controlled. Right. And as a strategic, I can say to them, you're not going to get a financial investor to take you as seriously or value as highly if you don't own that IP. So if there's right. a way for you to go back and own it, you need to do that before you do anything else. Right. I'm happy to have those kinds of conversations with companies. Yeah. Great. So, uh, can you give us a sense of where you see this whole market heading? I mean, you've been involved in this now 20 plus years. It's evolved pretty dramatically. We've seen sort of the, I'm going to call it celebrity venturing gone on here within the private markets over the last 20 years. You know, I mean, the idea that people know the names of venture capitalists as celebrities is, 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 uh, is real now. Like there's, you know, you say Mark Andreessen, you don't think of kid who invented Netscape. You think of venture capitalist. So the, so venture 20 years ago in Silicon Valley obviously was as big and, and people were yeah. Sand Hill road was the place. Um, yes. Now you're seeing it in other industries and in other places, but I think the, the, what's different is that people who have been doing it for a longer period of time are learning lessons about how to do it right. So the group that I ran at AT&T, we were taking orphan technologies and investing in them in startups where uh, obviously in the dot-com era, they were going to grow much faster and return more to us than we could if we tried to license technology to someone. Sure. But that was fairly transactional. That was really just sort of plugging holes, identifying a hole that a company had and plugging it with the technology. And you'll notice that what I've been talking about this whole time is I've been talking about the relationship and, and building a, a set, a two-way conversation of you need X, I have Y, I have X, I'll give you X if you give me Y, is a big piece of it. And that's not, that's not a transaction. That's, that's, that's a relationship. One of the other things that I've noticed is that um, 
Finance departments typically will look at the balance sheet vertically and they'll freak out when they look at a startup. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. But if you look at that balance sheet horizontally, it tells a story and it tells a story that that company is on a certain kind of trajectory. Mm-hmm. And if you as a strategic can come in and say, I can help you achieve that goal faster than you think you can, because I have some assets that are, I think will be of use to you, and I'm, I'm speaking beyond just cash, then I also will want to put cash in so that we both benefit financially and we both benefit in terms of the technology. And so as you sort of look forward from where you are today, that trend in our world is growing, I assume in your world is growing. Is that starting to plant a seed in traditional venture capital yet? Or are we still in, here's money, you're smart, go figure it out world on the venture capital side? I, I can't speak to the financial VCs because I don't, um, I, well, I, I know a subset of them. I don't know all of them. Sure. I don't know how their thinking has evolved. Their goal is really much more focused on that financial piece. But even then, the difference, the key difference to me with venture capital and something like M&A is that M&A tends to be very transactional. Right. Even the, the, the financial investors that I've worked with, they take their time to get to know those founders. Knowing that team is the most right. important thing. I mean, you could, you could have the best idea in the world, but if your team sucks, yeah. Um, no, I'm not going to invest. Or even if that team isn't the personality of that team, even if they're talented, if the personality of that team isn't able to project uh, the right, I don't know. It's an it's an it's an unknown quantity. Yeah. If you people give me won't a, invest. If you give me a great team with a half baked idea, well, we can fix that. Right. You give me a, a dysfunctional team with the best idea in the world, I can't fix that. Right, right. So that's a key difference between venture capital and M&A and between old style transactional stuff and what I am seeing today, which is much more focused on looking and getting to know that team, making sure that that team can deliver, making sure that they're in the right path and helping them course correct along the way. because. A lot of times, you know, a company is on a path to greatness when they make a big left turn away from what they thought they were going to do originally. Right. When that pivot happens, it's like all of a sudden everyone, ah, because they've had that conversation, not just with their investors, but with the market. Right. And all innovation is a conversation with the marketplace. Right. So you, you throw something out in the marketplace and the market comes back and says, well, I like that, but I didn't like that. You, you tweak it. And eventually, sometimes you'll just realize, oh, no, what they really want is this. And you pivot and all of a sudden things take off. Right. Great. So this has been fantastic, super educational for me. I, uh, I've spent a lot of time with you, with others in this space, but never been able to have sort of a focused conversation around how all this really fits together within a corporate strategy, the financial strategies of the entities that get invested in. Um, the financial interests of the corporation, um, et cetera. So if um, anybody listening wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to find you and reach out? Uh, GoodyearVentures.com. Okay, great. And within that, uh, 
You can also see the portfolio. You can see where the company is going, what sorts of investments it takes, the mission yep. of that of that um, of that investment arm. Uh, it's a great uh, it's a great resource for anybody who's who's interested in that. All right, this is awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. I uh, I really appreciate you. Thank taking you, the time. Justin. I appreciate it as well. This was great. Okay, thank you. 